Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everyone's having a good retreat. I'm absolutely stuffed after lunch. So. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possible. Anthony asked a question right before we started. Is there a different dynamic? And I think as we see John have different suttas repeated through the year or years, sometimes the focus is on something different. This time it's calm. Another time it could be concentration. Sometimes it could be mindfulness. In this case, uh, I think you see a common thread through all the suttas so far. And in our comments, you can see a common thread. And the start of this sutta kind of continues that where it's asked what's the difference between an uninstructed and instructed and the Buddha answers that question this is the Salata Sutta the two arrows in the Salata Sutta a question is put to the Buddha as to, as to what is the distinguishing factor between a well-instructed and a well-informed Dhamma practitioner and those that have no understanding of the Four Noble Truths. So it's interesting that someone from the Sangha is confused at that point even though every sutta points to the difference it's the teachings of the Four Noble Truths but some of the teachings are so subtle and Questions arise, confusion arises in a even a well-instructed Sangha. So the Buddha responds, Friends, listen and pay close attention. An ordinary, uninformed person feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings. One well-informed of the Four Noble Truths also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings. So we are all subject to common pains, birth, aging, sickness, death. This practice does not let us dodge that. But what it does do is allows us to understand why an uninformed is so beleaguered, so tortured by the thought of aging, the thought of sickness, the thought of losing a loved one. It does not make you a robot, it just makes you an understanding person. When through the sixth sense base, 
An uninformed person experiences feelings of pain. They are sorrowful. They grieve. They become distraught and irate. The uninformed feels two pains, the physical pain of the experience and the mental pain caused by the reaction arising from the clinging to ignorant views of formidable truths. This would be like being hit with an arrow and then by request being hit again by another. These are John's comments. The sixth sense base is the five physical senses perceived through consciousness. Consciousness here refers to ordinary ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of the four noble truths, resulting in perceptions that can continually continue ignorance at the sixth sense base that a Dhamma practitioner develops restraint and avoids the second arrow. So this restraint we all have practiced restraint since we were children, whether we were told to sit down and behave or through the years hold your tongue, whether it's at a boss or a friend or, or a colleague. But really the only restraint that is effective is wise restraint that's based on the Four Noble Truths. If it's not within that framework, I always liken it as a muscle becoming exhausted. Eventually that restraint will give out and you'll see it in your thoughts, words, and deeds. The Buddha's words. As the person is experiencing pain, pain resistance occurs, leading to resistance obsession. As the person experiences pain, delight, and sensual pleasures occur. So the only, the only recourse a person that's not instructed is to absolutely go the opposite route. They will seek out pleasure, they will seek out relief, they will seek out distraction. This comes in many forms, of course. Uh, they can blame someone else. They can go into denial. They can drink or eat or shop or do social media, anything t except deal with the reality of that unpleasant feeling. Reaction brings obsession as the uninformed does not understand what is actually present, the origination, the allure, the drawback, the passing away of the feeling. As the uninformed does not understand the origination, the allure, the drawback and the passing away of feelings, any ignorant obsession about this feeling of pain, pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain, overcomes and obsesses them. Sensing pleasure or pain, or neither pleasure nor pain, the uninformed, through self-referential of personalizing the experience, joins with, creates an attachment with. The uninformed is joined to birth, aging, sickness, and death, and join with sorrows, grief, pain, and despair. Through reaction to the experience, the uninformed joins with and further their, their confusion and suffering. So you can see how this cycle is a self-supporting cycle. Buddha continues, the well-informed person, when stress arises, has no resistance. With no resistance, no resistance obsession is formed. They feel one pain, physical, 
but not the mental. And I guess the one exception, and John, you can correct me, it refers to the physical, but there's also the first time you have an emotional response to, for example, someone passing away. That's not physical, that's an emotional, but an informed, instructed disciple doesn't react and doesn't stick that second arrow in. The Buddha continues, with no delight, in sensual pleasure, no pleasure obsession occurs. The well-informed person understands what is actually present and understands it. Its origination, its allure, its drawback, its passing away. They do not become sorrowful, regretful, distraught. They remain disjoined from pleasure and pain. The well-instructed person understands stress, dukkha, does not generate a mental reaction to pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain. This is the distinction between those uninformed and those well-informed of the Four Noble Truths. So that's the answer to the original question. Well, let me repeat it again. The well-instructed person, understanding stress, does not generate mental reaction to pain, pleasure, or neither pleasure nor pain. This is the distinction between the uninformed and those well-informed of the Four Noble Truths. The uninformed, not that they just don't have a little dust in their eyes, they're not seeking any relief. They are truly deluded. We're each one of us came to this practice with maybe a dissatisfaction with their past practices. Maybe they were confused by the, the wordings as I was. It was only until Mary showed me John's teachings that it made any sense at all. The Buddha continues. A well-instructed person who has developed the heartwood of the Dhamma, the Eightfold Path, understands the arising and passing away of all phenomena. And he's referring to the three marks of existence. John's words. This also relates to right meditation and remaining mindful of the arising and passing away of the breath in the body. Obsession with what is stressful causes one to become stuck in the feedback loop only focused on the arising of the stressful experience. The Buddha continues, Craving and aversion no longer distract the mind of continued ignorance. Approval and a rejection are dismissed, no longer in existence. Now, no dust remains, or sorrow or regret either. For those who understand the Dhamma, they have left behind, becoming further ignorant, and arri have arrived at the far shore of awakening. That's what a calm and awakened human being looks like. This teaching 
today is as relevant as it was 2,600 years ago. Nothing's changed. There's nothing special about today's hardships or viruses or war. The same floods and famine and pestilence or pillaging existed the first time man realized that he wanted something across the river. It's the same world today that's aflame with passion as it was back then because it's our mind. It's not set in a place or a time. The same defilements exist today as, as back when the Buddha taught. Greed, aversion, delusion. And the Buddha teaches us that you must be calm to be able to see these things. Without calm, your mind is too cluttered. Your mind is too tight. Dustin often talks about that, that gripping. Matt has taught us that, that you almost become blinded and can't possibly see clearly. And clarity is part of that process. So, thank you. And again, throughout the last session, there were many examples of uh, questioning whether having ambition is possible or a confusion in a practice as Becky was conveying to us. And then you had a perfect example of a child feeling anxious before a oral presentation and simply by you speaking to them really about the second arrow that don't even bother with that second arrow and they were able to get through the whole presentation Again, each one of us has that. So I'd like to go around the room. And we will start with Mr. Haspel. John? Thank you, David. And just a, another um, remarkable teaching. Uh, we have, we're, uh, we're so fortunate to have the teachers we have here, Bob and Matt and now you. Um, this, you know, you characterize this sutta uh, perfectly. That it, it, it's another sutta that encompasses the the entire dhamma. Um, what I was thinking about when you read the the, that, the first part about uh, the well informed uh, also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and feelings of uh, or neither pleasure nor pain. Uh, thinking about what Warren said earlier this this morning about. Um, what you might be aspiring to and kind of answers that question of what happens to me when I let go of all views of self you're simply no longer reacting to the things that would have been distracting uh, so the, your, your life 
from the outside might look exactly the same, but your experience of it will be completely different. It will be calm. It'll be peaceful. It will be based on understanding what's occurring rather than hoping that something else be different. It's just a remarkable sutra. Very simple, but there's so much here. You know, there, we, we, we really get through this sutra that it's up to us. Uh, uh, the quality of our life is up to us. It's not, out, it's not up to the external thing. It's up to what I'm holding in mind and how I'm viewing these things. Thank you, David. Excellent, excellent teaching. Thank you, John. Uh, Karen, how are you? I'm good. Hello, hello. Thank you so much, David. Hi, everyone. Hello. Thank you. So, uh, reading this before and listening to David, I was reminded that yesterday, um, I I decided last week that I was going to take a trip that I've been postponing for a couple of years now because of COVID. And I decided I'm going to go in September and I was looking for my passport and I couldn't find it. So I just watched myself getting really tense and aggravated and the self-loathing beating myself up for not being able to locate the place that I thought for sure I would have left it. And I found myself like running around these various places in the house trying to figure out, oh my God, if it's not here, then I don't know where it is. And how am I going to get it in six months? And with, you know, all this. So that was, there was a, <laughs> it was a, a, a second hour experience. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, Today I can laugh about it. Yesterday I was not laughing about it. I did ultimately find it, but um, thank you. Thank you so much. I really need to hear this today. Thank you, Karen. And how often have we all waited for like word of a job and how your mind races? Why didn't he call? Do I need to call? All that angst, all that anxiety not necessary the answer is going to come and all that pain was just this yeah. second arrow and not only to yourself but those around you oh my god i've tortured you <laughs> and, and you've you tortured me you, you know, it's, it's, uh, and again it's as we become more refined in our mindfulness that conversation is seen between us not needed. Right. And again, it's uh, calm. Good afternoon, Brian. Hi, David. Thank you. Hello, everybody, again. Um, I, I find myself on the opposite side. I've just recently, in the past couple months, accomplished a number of goals that I set out to accomplish nearly 30 years ago in college and and seeing those those accomplishments with right view um seeing it through the the three marks of existence that you know even if i go down the path of celebrating and um, becoming uh, enraptured with that that accomplishment and the the accolades and blah 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 blah, blah like that that too is suffering and just having that that wise restraint to, to pull back and, and not not go down that road. I've been down that road. 
Um, and I find myself just appreciating the, the accomplishment more from this non-attached viewpoint. So I, for me, the, right now, it's, it's seeing that second arrow as not necessarily pain, but eventual pain. I mean, it, it all ends in, in Duke if, if, with wrong view. So thank you, David. Thank you, Brian. <clears throat> Dr. Kevin, how are you? this teaching this is such a fundamental teaching and we've often heard it over the years i've been here and it, it just you know you bring new meaning to it and um, i just appreciate what karen said and brian said too and um i'll just take a little silence from here otherwise thank you very much thank you Kevin. good afternoon jeff Good afternoon, everybody. I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how personal each of the suttas seems to speak to me. Um, couldn't possibly be because of the common experience of confusion and deluded thinking from ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Couldn't, that couldn't be the condition. But, it, it, <laughs> but both of these suttas that we've talked about today are both related metaphorically to health issues so gee why would that speak to me right yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. no it's an amazing thing and i you know i was just thinking about both brian and kevin you know i've been retired for a couple of years now and i'm i'm very fortunate i'm kind of in a permanent uh retreat here in my hideout in north dakota and i'm retired so i don't really have to engage involuntarily much with the outside world and it's been a really interesting process to go through that recognition of the identity you build through a lifetime and a career and brian i've gone through that same kind of process and ultimately ultimately you actually even have to abandon the sense of achievement because it's really immaterial, it's impermanent. It, it's it's still another fabrication. And uh, Kevin, I'm sure can relate to that. He's going through the same process now. It it's uh, it's interesting. And this, uh, I I don't know where I'd be in that process without the support of you guys and the. Uh, without the uh understanding you gain an insight you gain through the through the noble path i appreciate you all jeff but for what it's worth i'm ready to retire now i'm good i don't i don't need any more <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was always in the opinion when, when i was 18 i tried that but it was wasn't working so uh but i'm still of the opinion you should retire young and then wait till you're old and then work you know, because you can really enjoy it when you're young. Uh, when you're old, you're, you've got all this other stuff going on. You know, you don't really need to be all that uh, focused on efficiency anyway. So, thanks, guys. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. And again, Jeff brings up really the backbone, the, the 
of what we have here is the song and you know John's restoration of the teachings allow us to understand it I mean I dabbled trying to read and I gave up because it just seemed so cloudy it just there was no no satisfaction and then the simple way that John restored it to the original meaning of the Buddha allows this interaction between all of us and it happens each and every week Matt and I always like oh that was a really great class I'm like yeah it's every week now it's a great <laughs> class and it's because of the feedback of everyone so who else do I have here Okay, everyone. Anthony. Anthony. Hi, Anthony. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, really. Uh, the second hour, I really see is kind of being uh, two different things because there's the emotional reaction that arrow where you know where people, places, and situations cause certain bring up certain emotions, negative emotions for us, and then there's. Um, the second hour of the self-talk um, that that happens when we are can be very hard on ourselves, and the the interesting thing about that is that I think that our self-talk is often harder on ourselves than it would ever be on family, friends, or even strangers, and there's like a real irony to that. Um, and, and I can completely relate to what Jeff was talking about because, well, I'm not retired, but um, I gave up a career as a lawyer for 30 years, and now I'm a therapist, and I'm finding it hard to let go of that identity, and at the same time, feeling like an imposter in a new field because I'm new and don't know a lot. And so there's like a scariness on both ends, but it's just a second arrow. And if I can orient myself to that, it makes it easier. So thank you. Thank you, Anthony. That's a, that's a great real life application of, of the teaching. Yeah. Good good evening, Mateo. It must be evening by then, by now, right? Yeah, it's uh, seven twenty. And my apologies if I won't be for the next session. It will be too late for me. <laughs> Mm -hmm. No problem. We understand. It's great. It, so this one is my favorite sutta ever. Mm -hmm. So like it's been many years that I really really enjoyed, and uh, I thought to understand this sutta because actually when you read it sounds quite simple, but there was exactly one moment in in my life when I really understand this sutta it was like exactly two years ago. So what uh, is a personal story? So I have a I have an adopted um, and, uh, handicapped brother, so he's an, in an institute in Italy. And two years ago, because of COVID, his biological father died of COVID. And, you know, everybody in the family was like, you know, devastated, worried, um, crying. And my, my concern was like, oh, I don't know how to deal with him now. I don't know how, how I don't know how he reacts to this. And I remember like anytime I call him on the phone, I come to visit him, we just chat a bit and I just throw some sutra to him just for like chit chat, you know, some story of Buddha. And and that day when his father died, so I went to call, it was very, was very calm. 
and I was a bit worried, so why is called? And he was here, the more or less told me, well, I remember that sutta that you told me about the second arrow. And I was looking at him, it's like, so, and he told me something like, well, I feel deep in pain, I really feel in pain, but what's the point to feeling no more pain? To cry and, and to think that, I was like, you know, it was like a kind of a moral slap in my face, and I told him, you're, you're definitely not an idiot, <laughs> so I am the idiot here, say so like, and, uh, and I really understand, it was like a, you know, direct example how it can be, some sutra can be so, um, uh, can be deep into it, like somebody. Uh. Mm. And that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Matteo. Thank you. Uh, let's go around the room. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. Hey, everyone on the computer. <laughs> Um, you're sitting behind it. <laughs> the controller. Um, I know every time I ask a question that it's just going to be answered like the next day or something. You know, John's the way that John has restored the teaching just makes so much sense. And I almost sometimes just wait, you know, for my questions to be answered. So this gave so much clarity to what I was asking earlier. Um, and thank you, David, for bringing light to the sutta. Um, I appreciated your reference to all the issues that have befallen humanity. Um, just as a reminder that, you know, it's nothing new. It's like these same things that just keep coming up and we keep, um, you know, trying to ascribe meaning to what's happening or, um, you know, sticking that second arrow in time after time after time. <laughs> and I sort of started to make this distinction in my head between the the well-instructed and the uninstructed. And let me know if I'm going down the wrong path here. But it's as though you could either be searching for meaning in the negative issues that are befalling <clears throat> you without the knowledge of the Four Noble Truths. So you're, you forget that you could have this dispassionate release. You're just looking for meaning. Why is this happening to me? And, you know, going through this mental anguish. Or the well-instructed could be searching for that dispassionate release through the Four Noble mm -hmm. Truths and just kind of, you know, not even looking for meaning in whatever negative issues are befalling your life. Does that sound right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So spot on. It's, I'll uh, stop there. But thank you. This just makes so much sense. Thank you. Yeah. Again, there's many good intention people doing good deeds, but there's this gnawing, unsettled feeling that they have because it's not based on the four noble truths. Well, I think the meaning is you're searching for that meaning. The well-instructed know that the meaning is just that I'm ignorant of Four Noble Truths. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else to look for. Mm -hmm. It's just I'm ignorant of Four Noble Truths, and when I can like come back to that and see how I'm sticking the second arrow in, just because I'm ignorant of Four Noble Truths. Mm. And then there's no more meaning to look for, yeah. to get stuck on. Yeah, it's a speculative. Mm. Exactly. Hey, David? Yes, sir. 
So in the moment, as that's coming up for us, as we're recognizing our eye making, uh, Jen just referred to it. What what the uh, the skillful response is? This is stress arising, and I know the cause of stress, and I know that that stress ceases; it's impermanent, and I know that the eightfold path is the path. So I have integrated in this moment. I know that I'm doing everything I can for myself in this moment to deal with stress simply by recognizing it. And that, and that takes the mystery or the grasping after or the analysis of the stressor and just recognizes stress as stress. And that's exactly how the Buddha teaches it. Stress is stress. It's not, it's not something that we need to, to uh, uh, get too involved with. We just recognize the, the reaction that that second arrow uh, uh, makes apparent to us. You know, we're, we realize we're doing this to ourselves. It's got nothing to do with any worldly condition at all or any or a position in our life it's simply just that and uh, uh, karen mentioned earlier it's rooted in self-loathing that that i'm just not good enough or you know the world isn't good enough for me uh, and that's our thought you know it's a self-generated thought and this resolves it so thank you thank you john julie thank you very much for the teaching um, I really like this, uh, the sutta is very profound and it is very applicable every day, every second of the day. Um, the thing I find very interesting about the arrow is that your arrow could be so old, I mean, it, it could have happened 20 years ago and yet you're still stabbing yourself with that same, with another mm -hmm. arrow. So you're still pricking yourself with things that may have occurred long, long ago and that, that have nothing to do with this present moment. So, I, I, you know, I always remember, like, all of a sudden when I have a feeling arise, I know it's too late by then, <laughs> you know, that I've already stuck it in me, but at least I'm able to take a, a breath, make myself present right now, and, and remember that if, if your mind is busy going backward or forward, and it's not here right now, stress will arise because mm -hmm. we're either clinging or craving to something that was that it no longer is here right this this moment um i had a conversation yesterday it's really funny uh with my son who's he's 23 and he's young and uh he was going on and on telling me how you know i'm not this i should be here and this and you know just like all of us we all we all have gone through all these type of things and we still do and i i I actually spoke to him and I was telling him, well, you're piercing yourself with the second hour. So I started telling him, speaking to him, but I didn't say that it was Buddhism or anything. And he's like, he's quiet. And I said, so are you still there? And he says, I'm just listening to that. That's just like amazing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, wow, that's, that's good. I was able to at least, you know, pass along that message because maybe he just heard it this one time, but maybe next time he'll be able to like recall it and remember it for himself. You know? It's, it's, it's very valuable lesson. It's so digestible outside yeah. of, of Buddha's practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My company just bought another company that we've been in partnership with for 25 years. And I spent a whole day uh, walking around with this new, the employees of the new of this company that we just bought and they were distraught they were they identified with this company some of them had been there for 25 years and 
you know, I, I use elements of the sutta, and uh, you can see them calm down. All they wanted was reassurance and understanding, and I said, you have control over over this. And again, I think, think many of us have used this uh, sutta in the wild. <laughs> so, That's a good way of putting it. Sounds like a good TV program. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Into the wild with two the arrows. Second arrow in the wild. <laughs> Michael. Like a reality TV show. Uh, I got a couple things. I like that, David. Uh, nicely done, as usual. Um, I wrote down some notes all over the place. So they're they're a mess, but I'll try to organize them. Um, when it comes to the, the second arrow, um, that's the one. That's the one that could catapult you into, uh, you have two choices at that point, uh, to recognize your ignorance or off to dependent origination you go. Right? <laughs> that's, what the, uh, that's the way I see it. If you don't stop it there, you don't recognize it. And that brings me to, um, to uh, the sutta uh, on the, the allure and the drawback of sensuality. What is seen is only seen, what is heard is only uh, heard, what is sensed is only sensed, and what is cognized is only cognized. So that's what occurs at the, sen uh, at the, uh, at the, uh, with the senses upon contact, the sixth sense base. So right there, understanding that the recognition there is that this, these feelings that arise, okay, feelings are going to arise, but you have to understand the nature of feelings. They're impermanent. They go through a process of, of fermentation, breaking down. This is what the Buddha tells us. This is where the disenchantment, we, we go, uh, we, uh, we uh, how do you say, cultivate a, uh, a disenchantment for the aggregates, okay? So, Again, what is seen is only seen, what is heard is only heard, what is senses what is cognized is only cognized. So with that, if I can still myself in that moment, not react because I'm recognizing what is occurring and I know where dependent origination is going to lead me, then I at least have a handle on the situation and I can practice wise restraint from there. And I'll just end it with this. Uh, this whole, if I can, if we practice the Eightfold Path as the Buddha intended, it leads us and cultivates pure protection. And that pure protection, that is our armor, armor. Mm -hmm. So that second arrow, I'm not gonna pierce that armor. That's the way I see it. That's just what I got. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Becky. Hi. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the second arrow, I'm sort of uh, remembering what, uh, oh man, what Karen said. Because the second arrow Suda was one of the, one of the times during my, my practice during these years that the Suda just like hit me in the face when I was doing it. It's like when she was looking for her passport, 
this sutta, the first time I, I heard it, a few days later, I was looking outside at my garden, and I just went apoplectic. It was like, oh my god, look at all those ways, I have to do this. And almost to the point where I wanted to run out there right at that moment, you know, on a rainy day in March, and start doing. And then all of a sudden, it was just like, that was the second arrow. Mm. That was the second arrow. Just what is seen is only seen. This is not. This is not who I am. This. This garden does not define me. Mm. It's okay if I just relax and just let it go. But but when she told the story of the passport, that's just what I remembered. And this was the Suda. And I think that that second arrow. You can recognize it, going in, you can step back, you can do what I did, but you still keep putting it in. It's very hard to get to the point where you just don't put it in. <laughs> At least that's, a, that's how it feels for me. Sometimes it's, it's getting a, easier and yeah. easier. Sometimes it's a small thing. It's sometimes, sometimes it's small, sometimes, sometimes it's big. Life, and uh, mm -hmm. Mary and I were driving over to Catset, and we drove from Media all the way to Philadelphia, and I was like, I, I forgot the key, and <coughs> that's a little opportunity to, you know, stab yourself, mm -hmm. and... And you looked at me and said, don't get mad at me. I was like, I'm not getting mad at you. I'll be back in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Turn around. We were together, so she oh, was, yeah. It, and again, it's sometimes it's little, sometimes it's what Matteo described. Sometimes it's a passport. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank it's, you. Um, so helpful to know that that you can recognize it, and and you can just be okay. Then yeah. take a breath, and right view comes back, and. You've avoided some degree of dependent origination. So thank you, David. Thank you, Dustin. Tell you. Yeah, um, this is my first time hearing it. Oh, really? So, That's yeah, awesome. It gives me a lot of um, realization how, how for me, like the second arrow mostly is holds me back with like taking things personally mm -hmm. you know like getting feedback or critique or something like that like it's not really beneficial if the first thing you do is take it personally right. if you could not take something personally it feels like that would be a real product you know productive way of mm. creating something in life you know I think a lot of people hold themselves back with that second arrow, and I just never could ever explain that in this, you know, without this metaphor, mm -hmm. or even realize that that's happening. So I appreciate it. this is like really mind blowing. Okay. <laughs> I think it has an effect on all of us. Hey, Hi. Hi. 
Is it me? Hmm? Oh, I didn't know if you were looking behind me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it would be out of it if it doesn't. Shooting arrows. Um, <laughs> this is a really good one because it's, I, I think, in very often it's easy to see in yourself and it's easy to see in other people because the first thing we do when yeah. we see someone else doing this, your child or um, you know, a friend or whatever, you immediately want to go to them and say, don't beat yourself up. And you want to tell them all the great things they are doing. So I think we recognize it um, you know, maybe easier externally than internally in ourselves. Um, and I, I think I was saying earlier on the way to lunch that I probably for a good part of my life I would use uh, criticism or, you know, whatever and the se use, do the second arrow and use that as motivation and energy and to take action. And so now you're taking all this action, but your view is really cloudy. Mm -hmm. But you think you're doing, you know, what you should be doing. So um, it's really good to hear because we do need to recognize it. I find myself saying to people on my team, you know, be gentle with yourself, mm -hmm. be gentle with yourself. And, that can be really powerful in the way the first time I heard John say something when he might have been correcting me in a class and saying, Mary, be gentle with yourself. And I was like, be gentle with yourself. What does that mean? Who has time for that? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I'm supposed to be gentle? Got, stop. Arrows to stick myself with. How am I supposed to be tough on myself? <laughs> I have a favorite movie where one person says... Gentle with ourselves is a foreign concept? Yeah. But one person said to the other, so you're as tough, tough on everyone else as you are on yourself. Because it was a strong character mm. who's mm. tough on everybody. And, it's, and if you find yourself being tough on everyone else, very likely you're tough on yourself, too. Yeah. So anyway, great lesson. Wonderful teaching, David. Thank you. Thank you. Teacher Jim. Um, yeah, this is, got, I mean, this is like an oldie, oldie, oldie goodie, goodie, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like everybody has the memory of the first time they heard it. Um, and this time I, it was sort of the same theme that I've been, well, I guess since the beginning of my Dhamma practice, um, which is just, the second arrow is the wanting it to be different. And so, that in that in that wanting it to be different there's plenty there to um, observe dispassionately and recognize um, and understand how I'm contributing to my own stress by reacting to phenomena in an, a personal way. Um, I think in, in the last few years, noticing the instant that I noticed myself reacting to a thing, even though I may have taken a breath and calmed myself, there was still the subtle judgment that was keeping me uh, a little tiny bit stuck. So, 
so it's definitely a real deepening that's happening for me at this retreat and um, yeah so thank you everybody thank you yeah. thank you thank you Thank you, David. Great teaching. I remember uh, reminding the expression, I'm my own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. and we came to my, looking back on my stress and all, I mean, a situation that might have been unpleasant. I mean, I made it so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, mm -hmm. now, now I know not to do that. <laughs> That's great. That's simple as it could be, right? Yep. I do. Thank you. Yeah, like Jane, I was just thinking back to instances of like grief that I've had, like in second arrows, like putting those in, inflicting pain. But it just seems, um, like in the moment, it seems like justified, like the second arrow sometimes. It's like, oh, I just lost this family member. But then, like Becky said, this sutta like hits you in the face. It's like, Yes, when you understand, truly understand the stress, there's, like you were saying, there's no mental reaction to that. It's not that we're going to get rid of the grief necessarily, but I won't have to, you know, keep living the grief over and over again mm -hmm. and not go down the path of, you know, dependent origination, which is, you know, just results from ignorance, you know, and, and in a way, I guess, hearing this and then looking back on, like, how I've dealt with grief in the past, it just makes me realize, um, it kind of re resulted from just a craving or desire for distraction, rather than, like, really, you know, engage with it, so, mm -hmm. this is a really good, mm -hmm. um, teaching, so thank you. And is the word, um, I know because we get caught up in words sometimes, but sometimes words are really helpful. And it seems like the word justification is probably a clue, right? Like it's a fabrication. Is that correct? Because, it, mm -hmm. because we all feel justified protecting ourselves, defending ourselves, mm -hmm. standing up for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's not a real thing. And maybe that would be helpful. Because it's the same... It's the same as if the garden is bothering you or someone passed away. It's the same conditions that make you inflict the second arrow. Mm -hmm. So the justification, is it justified? No, but you're so far past. The arrows like come out the other side. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in justification. You but know? You're in that's, justification that's where our mode. practice right. builds that pause, that interruption, right. that space. Recognition. recognition or even if you realize you're in justification at least you know you're a little late but you're gonna yeah you're gonna see it earlier and that's why time. I asked John and it's not always just a reaction to the physical and then the mental second arrow the reality that the first arrow might be the emotional reaction to a, a loss mm -hmm. and the second arrow would be physical pain following that, the, the, uh, the yeah. agita or the heartburn or the exactly. nervousness, right? Or the wanting it to be different. Wanting it to be different. So, or regret. 
So is there something so big that it justifies? Yeah. Yeah. And again, we were talking briefly before about the Buddha's last teaching and people that had been with the Buddha for years lost their minds when the Buddha passed away. And the Buddha was saying, you know better. It's not any different. It's, everything is impermanent. So, Matt. Thank you, David. Just listening to the Sangha, going around hearing how this sutta has affected us and, and really taught us all so much over the last 10 years. Um, really grateful for that. Thank you, John. Um, and, you know, there was something that, that was said on Tuesday in class, and Brian made me think of it, and Jeff made me think of it, um, of, you know, we, 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 we think of this self-inflicted experience of discontent or, or, or something like that um, as coming from, you know, a mistake or, or an error or something, but what we were talking about on Tuesday and what, you know, what Brian and Jeff said, it reminded me of it, it was that even when something's good, even when something is, is positive or, mm. you know, joyful, joyful successful. a successful achievement, all those kinds of things, we, we, we go right to that. We go right towards it to, to establish ourselves and I make. So it's, and we justify it because it feels good. It's a good thing. It's positive. And the well-instructed, when they feel pleasure, they feel pain, they feel neither pleasure nor pain, but there is no reaction. There is no uh, preference. So I, I just, that's a tough one to, to remember. That's a tough one to, it's, it's so habitual and, and autopilot to, to, to just go, yeah, oh, it's good, then that's, then that's good. I want more of it. <laughs> Would it be good for the community? It, right. Be... <laughs> we, we justify it easy, easier. You know, and, and the Buddha teaches us in this sutta that there, there's no, as soon as we run it through our preferences, then we're ignorant. It's been personalized. It's been personalized. It's been personalized. Mm -hmm. Thank you, David. Thank you for bringing that up. Teacher. Thank you, David. Uh, always nice to hear this sutta. Uh, I was struck by something that Jeff said and also Brian. Um, and in terms of this sutta, you know, we've sort of got a clear fork in the road here. The unintended practitioner, the uninformed practitioner, as Matt was kind of just describing, the Buddha uses the word obsession, develops an obsession, a resistance obsession. And that can be applied 
in a positive situation or a negative situation. We, we, we have this compulsion, this diluted thinking, this mechanical process of fabricating. And, you know, that's to me what this, what struck me here is that the uninformed practitioner experiences the pain and stress of their fabrications directly. And if we're practicing for calm, as we're doing this weekend, we're able to experience cessation and the release of fabrications. And that's probably where I can leave it because that's probably good enough. Thank, Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Well said. John, would you like the last word? Uh, you, you mentioned something just a bit. Of course I do. Um, <laughs> you you, you mentioned something earlier that, that related directly to the four foundations of mindfulness. You said when, when an emotion hits us, well, an emotion is a thought attached to a feeling, isn't it? And it is at that point that we're reacting, that we're, we're taking something personal. In order to take something personal, I have to attach a thought to a feeling, and that is a self-referential thought. And, and just this recognition is the direct practical understanding of that process that we learned uh, in the, the the second class of our truth to happiness study that, and, right. and that is related to our our jhana practice it the the second arrow during jhana practice is the reaction to the thought of the feeling or the lack of reaction that is simply coming back to the breath and i hope i'm explaining this the way i want to Jhana practice is both metaphor and practical experience of this sutta, of the second arrow. So that's what I'll say. Thank you, Dan. Well, what a great class. And that I, you know, the other thing I've been thinking about, and I guess I go through this every every retreat, um, but just a recognition of how well informed this sangha is, and and honestly, and sincerely, how fortunate I am to be a part of your sangha. It's just remarkable. I've been around the, the, the Buddhist game for a long, long time, <laughs> and I've never seen or experienced anything like this. So I want to thank all of you for your commitment to the dog. Thank you. Thank you, Venerable Sir. <laughs> thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.